Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. And today, joining us is Steve Lurch to talk about modern consumer behavior and why it matters. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Appreciate it. Excited to have you on the podcast. Met you at the Ohio Pork Congress where you gave the keynote talk there. We're going to uh, start out just by having you give us a little bit about your background. How did you get into what you're doing today? Yeah, um, it's been an interesting an interesting journey, I suppose. Um, uh, currently, I'm the president of a company called Story Arc Consulting. It's a company I started um, about three years ago. Uh, but prior to that, most of my background, most of my professional experience was working for Google. Uh, so I worked for Google for about a decade. I did five years out at their headquarters in California and another five years, almost five years uh, in their Washington, D.C. office. Uh, and I did a lot of different things for Google, had a lot of different experiences, but it was almost entirely connected to marketing and digital strategy. So I, during most of my time at Google... I had some group of customers or clients or partners, whatever you want to call them, who invested a certain amount of money with Google advertising solutions, everything from Google.com to YouTube to a million other ways that Google makes money and does advertising. Uh, And it was my job to help them with their strategies. So when I started out in California, right out of college, it was small businesses, small mom and pop companies. And After a year or so, I graduated, so to speak, into much larger companies. My clients became GoPro and Fitbit, um, big tech brands, really cool space to work in. Uh, And then I moved to D.C. about five years ago, still with Google, or I guess more like seven years ago now, still with Google, and started a new team for Google, still doing digital marketing and digital strategy, but working with trade associations, nonprofits, uh, the federal government. Uh, And it was during that time in working with trade associations that I started to work with the USDA's checkoff programs. So the American Egg Board, uh, Avocados from Mexico, National Cattlemen's Beef, uh, all the dairy groups, cotton, uh, and of course, the National Pork Board. Um, And I ended up getting really close to the National Pork Board, working with them for years, Uh, eventually left Google a couple of years ago to start out on my own with StoryArt Consulting, continued to work with a lot of these checkoff programs, a lot of food brands, a lot of ag groups. And uh, so I continue to do that consulting, that digital marketing, that strategy work. Uh, but I also give speeches, which, as you said, is how how we met. I speak at a lot of events, um, especially in food and ag and trade associations. And um, yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to for the last three years now. Um, again, still doing consulting, giving speeches uh, and, and just sort of traveling around, meeting new people. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I love what I do. And I, I love getting to do events like the Ohio Pork Congress and, and like I said, meeting some new people and traveling to somewhere I've never been before, which in that case was uh, 
Lima, Ohio. I think I'm saying it right. Lima, yeah. Ohio. Yeah, Lima. Never been there before. Uh, I, yeah, I was told it's Lima, Peru. It's Lima, Ohio. I guess it's spelled the same. So hopefully yeah, I'm getting that right. A couple times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much what I do now. You know, I didn't grow up in ag. I don't have a background. I didn't grow up on a farm or anything like that. Although totally coincidentally, my wife did. She grew up on a small farm in West Texas. She actually grew up showing pigs all through middle school and high school. And um, that was her world for sure. I'm a, a city kid. I grew up outside Philadelphia. I went to school in Pittsburgh. Then I lived outside San Francisco, now DC. Um, so a very different background. But uh, it's been fun to bring some of the Google stuff, some of the tech stuff, the Silicon Valley stuff, some of the stuff I learned from GoPro and Fitbit, bring that to some of these ag groups and some of these farmers I work with is, uh, it's really cool. And it's really fun. Um, I like it a lot. So how did you bring Googliness to the pork industry? Uh, I, I try to do it in as many ways as I can. I, I like the term Googliness though. That sounds like something we would say at Google. Googliness. We, do, we definitely say Googly and things like that a lot. Um, we're, we're pretty lame in that way, but it's fun. Um, yeah, when I started working with the national pork board, it was all in, in sort of the digital and marketing space. And, uh, my first year or so working with them was just a big process to sort of transition their marketing and communications strategies to a much more digital focused and in some cases, exclusively digital strategy. So we were really transitioning them at the time away from things like television advertising and doing less print and doing less, uh, all sorts of things so that they could do more YouTube and online video and working with influencers. And um, that was a big part of my work with the National Pork Board was really transitioning a lot of their strategy to digital. Um, From there, again, I did a lot of different things. I've led some workshops for them. I've spoken at not just the Ohio Pork Congress, but the World Pork Expo and the, the, the Pork Board of Directors and a number of different groups in that space. So I've done a lot of things with them, um, but most of it's centered around marketing and you know understanding the consumers they're trying to target and, and figuring out the right ways to talk to those consumers and what to talk about. I think that's always been a challenge for checkoffs is you know where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our money? Because um, there's so much to be said about, about any product, any food product, any commodity, but certainly pork and, and whether it's focusing on how delicious it is, how healthy it is, what temperature to cook it to, how it's raised, the environmental impact, the economic impact. Um, so prioritizing those messages, figuring out what to say, how to say it is, is something that I, um, I was certainly involved with for quite a few years uh, with National Pork Board. So as we move to a post-COVID world, what has changed in the way consumers make food and health decisions? Yeah, it, it's a good question. I think it's something we talk about a lot um, with some of the groups I work with and in a lot of my speeches too, you might've heard me touch on it maybe a little in Ohio. Um, COVID was such an interesting thing. And I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't say was in the past tense. I know I I have a habit in my speeches of saying now that we're moving beyond COVID or now that COVID's starting to end. And of course we've said that 20 times already and, and who knows what's coming next. But all that being said, um, COVID was really illuminating, I think, on a lot of trends that were already impacting consumers and just um, accelerating so many of those trends, right? Like there's there's a lot of things that we see so prevalently in the post-COVID world, and, and not just in terms of shopping or food or health, but online learning or telehealth or uh, working from home, all these things that were kind of happening. We just jumped ahead like five or 10 years. Um, And I think a lot of what we see that affects food and health is that 
and again, it's a trend that was already happening, but got accelerated, is that consumers are more powerful than they've ever been before. They have, they have more power over brands and products and industries than they've ever had. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And, and again, COVID helps to accentuate these. One is because the world keeps getting smaller and smaller because of the technology we have and because of the digital options we have. So consumers... You know, you no longer just have to buy the product that's on your local shelf. You can order food from any number of a million websites or any number of a dozen different apps that'll deliver things to you. Consumers just have so much choice. They have so much option, so many options. There's just so much available to them at their fingertips that, that didn't used to be the case. And, and COVID really accelerated that because we saw not only the online grocery ordering or the online food delivery accelerate, we saw so many cases of new brands and Gold Belly is the one that comes to mind for me right away. These brands that are now shipping food products across the country that we didn't used to think of as options, um, that, that now those consumers have that power. And the other part of it is, and it's, it's the same thing. It's about technology. It's about digitization. Consumers have more information than they've ever had before. Um, they have an ability they didn't used to have to research and understand and just ask any question of any product of any brand of any producer that information exists now it exists out there in the world for them to go get uh and that didn't used to always be the case and, and obviously it's accelerated over the last 20 years but so much more through COVID, I think, as technologies like blockchain for example have gotten stronger which allows for food traceability to be more thorough you know, we're, we're moving to that world where consumers just have full transparency into every part of every supply chain, every brand. Um, and that just gives them a lot of power because if you as a, a pig farmer, if you have as a pork brand, if you as a grocery store or restaurant, you're not doing something in a way that consumers want you to do it, they're going to figure that out because they have the information and they're going to pick somebody else because they have the choice. So there's just so much more power now in consumers' hands. Um, and again, I don't think COVID necessarily changed that, but it accelerated it a ton. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we look at power in itself I and mean, we got relational, positional, personal, there's so many different forms of power and the, the pork industry seems to lack the relational power with the consumer, especially as they look for more information. They're really able to pull less from that. But when it comes to actually re retail and branding and all that other stuff around selling and marketing, why should producers care about how consumers think and shop? Yeah, this is like one of my favorite topics for sure. It's a topic I talk about the most, I guess I would say, because it is a barrier, right? I think, and this is not unique to pork, right? You could, you could probably say the same thing about beef producers or dairy or egg, whatever it is. It's, it's so common. And so it's the way it's traditionally been done for decades and centuries where those producers, obviously, they're selling through resellers and to brands and to distributors. And, um, you know, they're not the ones other than in very small cases or, or smaller operations. Most producers aren't selling directly to consumers. They're not the ones running advertising campaigns. They're not the ones, you know, they're, they're not the ones on the front line, so to speak, with consumers. That, that was always seen as someone else's job. So it's a big sort of evolution or a big ask to ask producers to start caring more about what happens at the end of the supply chain, because they've always been at the beginning of the supply chain. But again, we talk about that idea of, of I use blockchain as my example, um, and the fact that the way blockchain will work and has continued to work and, and will work over time is allowing for consumers to be able to walk into any grocery store in the world, 
scan any product on their phone, let's say it's a pork chop, scan that pork chop, and they'll be able to see, okay, this is the brand it's from, which is what they would normally know. But also, this is the truck it was shipped in. This is the state it came from. This is the farm that pig came from. And here's the Instagram account of the daughter of that farmer. And, and that sounds so silly or so crazy. And to many of us, it seems like, why would anyone care about that? But so many consumers are, are getting more curious about their products, about the, especially about their food, about the things they feed their families. And that power is something they're going to leverage in, in huge ways. And it, again, it sounds strange to think that someone might say, I'm not going to buy that pork chop because I can see through this massive world of technology, this massive digital you know, landscape that's available to me on my smartphone. I can see that that farm believes X, Y, or Z, or I can't find a website for that farm. So I don't know what they believe, or that farm doesn't even have a Facebook page. So I don't know if they are nice to their pigs or not. I don't know if they take good care of the land or not, but this pork chop over here, or maybe even worse, this T-bone steak over here, I can see that, you know, they have a YouTube channel for their farm or the trucking company that delivered this steak. I can can see that they have, you know, they have some online presence, they have some experience, they have some information that I can read that I like, that I wanted answers to. So we're in that situation where consumers, they're going to be making their purchase decision based on factors that never used to be relevant, never used to matter. Yeah. It was price, it was taste, it was availability. But again, with power, with information, with these technologies and digital tools, Consumers are going to pick what product to buy based on a number of new factors. So you as a farmer, you as a producer, you better start paying attention. And I know this stuff sounds weird. And if you're 40 and 50 and 60, you probably think, I would never do that. I would never care about the Instagram account of the farmer who grew my pork chop. But there's a lot of 18 and 25 and 35-year-olds who do and will, especially as the technology grows. So it's it's only going to get more. It's only going to increase the rate at which this happens over time. And, and producers need to start thinking about it, need to start getting ready for it. Yeah, I was talking with some individuals from Iowa City that had no knowledge of pork production. And one thing that really stood out to me was as an industry, we keep putting out metrics saying, this is how many family farmers this have, this is how, how, how family oriented it is. And a lot of producers will sit back and go, oh, why, don't, why doesn't the consumer get it? How come they don't know? Like, it's obvious. I'm a family. I live here. It should be obvious for them that it's a family family business. But in reality, all they see is the the label when they buy the food. They see Tyson, yeah. the JBS, they see Smithfield. And so in what world would it be obvious to a customer or a consumer that behind that label is actually a transaction between a family and a corporation yeah. to drive a, sustain, a sustainable marketability of that product? And it's just we're not we're not transparent enough about the story and how the product moves and th those relationships that drive that global sustainability of marketing 100% of that animal. But I mean yeah. when Yeah, when you think about big brands and retailers, are they keeping up with the latest consumer trends? Are are there different approaches they need to be taking with the modern consumers? What do they seem to be doing well and and what what do we think needs to be better? Yeah, it's a good question because it, it does all go together, right? Like we're, we're talking about the producers and, and their role, which they do have a role and they have to get more involved. But to, to your point on like a unified message, it, it is an entire industry here that is trying to tell a story. And, and the, the pork industry, 
telling that story has to include all the way back to the farmers and all the way to the end of the retailers and the restaurants and the brands, right? Like it's because, because as you just said, there's actually a lot of really good stories to tell, right? Like a lot of farming, a lot of pork products, they do start in what are essentially family owned small businesses local to a lot of communities. That's a lot of buzzwords that like millennial shoppers love, like, right. Like family owned business local. And, you know, so as you said, why aren't we, why aren't we treated that way as in agriculture in general? And some of it starts with just the simple fact that it's like less than 1% of the country works in agriculture. I was pulling this stat the other day for a speech. It's like less than 1% of the country works in agriculture, but like, 70 years ago, it would have been like 30% of the country worked in agriculture. And 150 years ago, it would have been like 95% of the country works in agriculture. Don't quote me on those numbers, but that's like the gist or the pattern we've followed. Um, And so now we're in a place where most consumers don't know a farmer. And and I know if, if you're listening to this and maybe you're a pork producer, or if you're listening to this, you've got some connection to that industry. So it might feel weird to you, that concept, because either you are a farmer or your neighbors are farmers. Maybe you come from a town where there's lots of farmers. But for so many people in this country, farm life is just not something we can relate to anymore, not something we understand, not something we appreciate properly. Because it's just so distant to us. Because as you were just talking about with brands and retailers, that's our exposure to pork, right? And we walk into the grocery store, there it is on the shelf. It says Smithfield on it or whatever. And that's it. That, that's, or we go to a restaurant and there's a pork chop on the menu. And, and that's it. That's our exposure. So yes, producers need to be more involved, but certainly the frontline players are always going to be the brands and the retailers. And, and they have the same challenges that the producers have, which is keeping up with these new trends of how consumer behavior and these new ways consumers think these new demands that consumers are having. And yeah, some, some do it better than others, but it it really all comes down to the idea of just embracing the fact that these consumers are changing and, and figuring out what stories we need to tell. There's still so much money and effort and resources going into billboards and print magazines. And when I watch the food network, I still see tons of commercials for food and, and I'm not trying to knock all that stuff. I'm, obviously, my training's in, mostly in digital. So I, I suppose I have a bias towards digital strategies. But I can tell you just talking what we've been talking about, the fact that consumers have all these demands, consumers have all this information. We are moving into such a, a segmented world where consumers are, there's just different types of consumers. There's different buckets. We can't just say like, oh, there's millennials and there's Gen X and there's Gen Y, and they need to see this message. There's a hundred different audiences, a million different audiences of people who buy pork and they all do it for a different reason. And they all want different information. And some care, like I said earlier, some care about the land and some care about the pigs and some just care about the taste and some care if it's keto and some care if they can feed it to their kids and some care if they can eat it before they go to the gym. Some care if it's cheap. There's all these different audiences. And when we rely on more traditional forms of marketing and communication, and again, I'm, I'm a little bit overstating this or oversimplifying it, but we rely on television and print and billboards and, and radio or whatever it might be. We have no choice but to group people into pretty big buckets, the pretty wide audiences versus online. We have so much ability to categorize and customize and segment these audience. There's so many automation tools available to us as marketers to tailor messages, to make sure that if we want to talk about why pork is good in a keto diet, let's say, 
that we can find those people who care about that message and hit them with just that message. I don't want to talk about the environmental issues of pork products to a bunch of consumers who don't care about it, right? And yes. I don't want to talk about why pork is so healthy to a bunch of guys who eat fast food twice a week and they don't really worry about their diets. Like that tailoring of the message, which, and again, I think most brands, most retailers are doing some of this, but I think there's still a discomfort from a lot of big businesses to really sort of go all in and really sort of, and again, I'm not saying there's no place for TV or print or whatever, but some brands need to be a little more comfortable washing their hands with what they've done in the past and just sort of start from scratch and say, okay, consumers are different now. Let's build a marketing plan for 2022 instead of let's take our 2020 or let's take our 2000 marketing plan, our 2010 marketing plan, and let's just tailor it a little bit and update it a little bit for this year. Let's start fresh because the world looks so different now. Um, and and it, that's uncomfortable and it's hard for brands to do, but the, the most successful brands are the ones who are going to be the most comfortable saying like, let's take a true fresh look at our approach to talking to consumers. And, and maybe we'll keep some of the stuff we used to do. Maybe we'll get rid of all of it. But that openness to, to make that decision is, is super important. So when we look at that, and let's say I'm a producer and I know absolutely nothing about social media or making websites, but I actually care about playing a role in connecting with consumers. And I might feel as though just serving on a committee or working with the pork board isn't filling my bucket. It isn't enough to me. Yeah. Where do I start? How do I independently start to connect? Yeah, awesome. So, great question. And it's probably what you're probably describing is probably where most pork producers, I don't want to say most, where many pork producers, where many farmers, where many people in ag, where they sit. This idea that like, okay, this stuff, you know, you guys are talking about, it makes it makes sense more or less. I'm interested in it. I want to dip my toes in it, but um, but I haven't done it before. I haven't, and it's not to say social media is the answer or a website is the answer. It's just in general of saying, I've never really had to spend time thinking about consumers. I've never really had the time thinking about my farm or my business as like a brand or a company, but I'm curious and, and maybe I should, and I want to be ready for the future. So it's probably where most people sit. And what I always say is, you know, it's great if you're ready to do things. It's great if you're ready to take action, to to move forward, to try, to test, to launch a page, to post a thing, to make a video, whatever it is. But in lieu of having a willingness to do, and a lot of people aren't ready to do yet. A lot of people aren't ready to jump in like that. You start with watching and you start with listening and you start with learning, right? Like we can do a lot to start to, and when I say we, I mean us as individuals, us as farmers, us as producers, anyone in this industry. There are steps you can take to start looking at some of these new consumer behaviors or start trying to figure out, okay, people in my area, people in my you know, state, people I might sell pork to. And when I say I sell pork to, I mean the people in the grocery store who might end up buying my pork products. There are things I can do to start understanding, well, do those people care about the land? Do those key people care about water usage? Do they care about animal rights? Are they thinking about going vegan? Um, what kind of diets are they on? What's their favorite cut of pork? Do they like to cook it in a Mexican style or an Italian style? Those little things that maybe you you don't know the answer to, and you're not even sure how you would use them. I'm not sure how I would use those insights as a pork producer. That's okay. But start learning it. Start finding ways to observe consumer behaviors because eventually over the coming months, over the coming years, you will get more comfortable and you will learn more about these digital tools and social media 
and you will need to start doing that stuff. And you don't want to simultaneously have to learn, okay, how does face, how do I do a Facebook page and a website for my pork brand? At the same time, you're trying to learn what the heck do consumers care about? What should I talk about? So start learning that now. And there's so many ways to do it. And it starts honestly just by getting online and going to Google and typing in some random words and reading some articles, looking at some marketing blogs, things like that. It's, it's so easy. It's free. Just carve an hour out, like once a month even, to just read some articles about how consumers are shopping for food in 2022 and how consumers do research on food products and health issues in 2022. You will find countless amounts of information out there about this stuff. There, there's a tool that I'm obsessed with called Google Trends. Um, I use it in a lot of my speeches. It's oh, Google. Yeah. I, you're, you're familiar. It says google.com slash trends. It's totally free. You don't even have to sign up or anything. You don't need an email. Just go to google.com slash trends. And you just throw words into it. And it basically shows you search volume for those words or phrases over time. And you can do it geographically. So if you're a pork producer in Iowa and you only sell around Iowa, you could set Google Trends to Iowa. And you can look and see, you know, what, what pork products do people search for the most? And how does it change throughout the year? And how has it changed this year versus five years ago? And what diets are people interested in? And are people still worried about GMOs? Are they still thinking about looking for organic food? Are they looking for plant-based substitutes to my meat products? Just the type of information that, again, you might not even know for sure how you're going to use it yet, but just start you know, flexing that part of your brain that says, what do consumers think about the thing I do? Um, Google Trends, awesome tool, a great place to start because actually, honestly, it's a pretty fun tool. You can go yeah. down a rabbit hole very quickly and get really curious about stuff. And, and that curiosity is, is the key to this. So yes, do when you're ready to do, but just start by looking and learning. Um, it's, it's real easy. There's no stakes to it. You're not taking any risks. Just start browsing around and just read some stuff that you wouldn't normally read. So to wrap things up here, because this has been incredibly helpful and I think sheds a, a, a bright light on what producers can be doing and, and how consumers' behavior is changing and why it matters. What's I'm going to ask for a golden nugget, a life lesson that you've you've learned in your life. But before that, what's something about you most of your colleagues do not know? Oh, man, something about me that most of my colleagues don't know. Oh, that's a tough question. Well, you know, I've worked in a lot of I've worked in a lot of food groups. Well, you know, it depends how close my colleagues are to me. <laughs> Many of them know this. I would say the people that I've actually worked with on the same team or at the same company know this. Some of my clients might not. But as someone who, you know, works with a lot of different food groups, a lot of different brands, um, I think some, a lot of people don't know me that I am one of the pickiest eaters in the world. And there are quite a few groups I've worked with where they don't know it, but I would never eat their product. Um, and I can say with all honesty that pork is, does not fall in that category. Pretty much anything in the meat world, I will eat all the time. But uh, I'm sorry to my friends I've worked with in the fruit world and the vegetable world and in that world, there's a good chance I didn't eat the thing I was helping you sell. Um, so I guess that's something people don't know about me in the ag space. <laughs> so what's a golden nugget you'd have for listeners? What's a, a life lesson that you have that you'd like to pass on? Should I make it specific to like marketing consumer behavior stuff? It could be anything. I mean, we've had anything go, go super broad, super specific, and we're actually putting together a book of all of the golden nuggets we've received from every speaker. Okay. So kind of cool. Cool. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a quote then and I'll do a story from the quote. Um, 
This is a quote I heard. Um, I believe it's from Tony Robbins, but honestly, I, I Google it and I can't find any history of this quote being used before, but I'm quite sure I didn't make it up. And I'm pretty sure it's from Tony Robbins. But the way I learned it is there was this story. I think it was Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker, um, where he said he used to uh, be in a sales job where he had to give sales presentations. And he was really bad at it. He always got really low scores, really bad reviews whenever he got measured on his sales presentations. So he goes to his boss and says, Kate, hey, can you start sending me out on three times as many sales calls? Because I want to get better at this. I'm a motivated guy. I want, I'm inspired. I want to get better. So he does. He goes on three times as many sales calls. He, he, he does this. He comes back. He looks at his reviews. He wants to see how much he's improved. Now that he's going on three times as many pitches, he looks at his scores and he's getting the exact same reviews he got before. And this is where the quote comes in. He says, this is where he learned. And this is like my favorite business quote of all time, or really life quote of all time. He says, that's why I learned practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes consistent. Practice plus feedback makes perfect. Um, and it's something I've tried to live with a lot and something I think Google embraced really well. And it's this, basically this idea that like you are limited in your ability to do things. Like you, you can come up with an idea that's a certain amount good, but if you don't put anything else into it, your idea stops growing and it, it has sort of a cap on how good it can get. It has a limit on how good it can get. And the limit expands when you bring in feedback. And the best way to get feedback is from other people. So far too many people, when they're thinking about trying something new or doing something new, they, they keep their idea to themselves because they're nervous about it or they're self-conscious about it. And, and what I've really learned is you got to get loud about your ideas and you got to get loud about the things you're trying or the challenges you're facing because that's the only way to, to get that feedback. That's the only way to get that new, new insights, new ideas that'll, that'll amplify your stuff. So practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes consistent. Practice plus feedback makes perfect. That's, that's my, awesome. that's my nugget. Thanks for that. And thank you for being a guest on the Popular Pig Podcast. Excited yeah. to, to hear what you had to share and wish you the very best. Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.